There we go. I'm I'm good now. We're good. Yeah, my dumbass forgot to add the stream. So we're we're good now though. Yes. Okay. Actually, it sounds better on my end. Yeah. Hmm. No problem. No problem. Right, you good. <laughs> I can imagine. Okay. And once again, welcome back to the Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot 75. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Yep. Shit, call this drop. Hold on, call this drop. Hold up. Hold up. Jeez. It's going to be one of those nights tonight. Yes. Yeah, the call had dropped.
Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What can you say? Technology, people. Technology. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Okay. I'm sorry. It's not me. Engineer having issues. It's taking too long. I want to cook tonight and go in and talk about what I want to talk about. It's just if you're if you're trying to listen to me on, on the wake up uh, website, it's not gonna work. So we're gonna just do this through YouTube tonight, and uh, we're gonna get it in. So this is what, 
You're just gonna get it. I use Google number, which I forgot. Oh shit. Um, I highly doubt I'm gonna take calls tonight because I don't know. We'll see how the first hour goes, okay? Um, first things first, let's get into the Mandalorian. Uh, shit. <clears throat> okay, I can hear myself. Okay, let's get into the Mandalorian. Let's get up. Let's get uh, caught up. Episode six, the prisoner. Uh, I'm going to scroll right through this. Basically, Mando gets a job to go with some mercenaries to go break out his former flames, Shion's brother, Quinn. Uh, there's this nonsense back and forth. Uh, the one a, a robot zero is on the ship, tries to find Baby Yoda. Ba- Baby Yoda is going to save Star Wars. Okay, Baby Yoda is going to save Star Wars. I, I promise you that. Um <laughs> They break him out. They try to double-cross Mando. Uh, Mando gets to drop on everybody. Uh, Mando brings the prisoner back to the space station. And he brings the Republic tracking device. And then Mando leaves. And then Rand try to set up Mando. And then the X-Wings show up. And they blow up the space station. I don't care about episode six. Episode seven is what we care about. Because this is part one of the season or series or season finale. Season one, okay? Episode 7 is what we care about. It is called The Reckoning. Okay. So then Mando gets a message from Kreef. The guild is under Imperial rule. Kreef asks Mando to uh, to use Baby Yoda as a bait to kill the client. Remember episode 1, the client was the one that hired the guild to, to get Baby Yoda. Okay. Kreef uh, uh, agreed to uh, erase the bounty and Mando gets to keep Baby Yoda. Mando returns back to that that Sorgan, planet Sorgan, to find uh, to help uh, get the help uh, from Cara Dune to go back to Novaro. Mando goes to Quill to help uh, him watch Baby Yoda. Uh, Quill rebuilt IG eighty eight, the first droid and- android in season uh, episode one. Uh, Quill reprogrammed uh, the robot now to go by IG eleven. Uh, Mando wants nothing to do with IG eleven. Quill says, droids are not good or bad, just reflections of those that programmed them. All right, Quill agrees that he and IG-11 will protect Baby Yoda along with the Blurgs, uh, while Mando, uh, this is the, the, the good part here, Baby Yoda once again. So Mando and Kara are arm wrestling. Baby Yoda thinks Mando's in trouble. Baby Yoda begins to force choke Kara. Okay, now Force Choke, if you're a Star Wars nut, you know, it takes years to acquire this ability. This is a baby. This is a 50-year-old baby. And he begins to choke out Kara. <laughs> Mando's like, no, we're friends. We're friends. <laughs> baby Yoda's not to be played with, okay? Baby Yoda is strong in the Force, all right? Earlier in the episode, when Quill examines Baby Yoda, he says, Baby Yoda is not a clone, not a creation, but is evolved. Uh, baby Yoda, if you if you know your Yoda canon, uh, Baby Yoda has all black eyes. The regular Yoda, the first Yoda, and Dawiddle, Dawiddle, they didn't have black eyes. So this is an, this is an, evol- an evolved version of of their species. Okay. Uh, Quill says Baby Yoda is not creating. Like Kara lashes out at Quill as to how he was able to walk away from the Empire. Quill says it was through three human lifetimes and the skills of his hands. He was able to buy his freedom from the Empire, which puts it about 200 from 210 to 220 years. 
it took Quill to buy his freedom from the Empire. Three human lifetimes, okay? Uh, Mando tells Kara IG-11 not to leave the ship. Mando says he doesn't care about its rewiring. It was designed to kill. It goes against its nature. Quill, Mando, and Kara meet with Kreef during the campfire while uh, Kreef and Mando go over plans. They're attacked by winged creatures, and one of the blurgs is, is taken away. Kreef is poisoned during the attack, but Baby Yoda once again. <laughs> Baby Yoda walks up to Kreef's arm and heals him with the Force. Okay? Uh, as they approach Navarro, Kreef kills two of his guild uh, bodyguards. Uh, Kreef admits the original plan was to kill Mando, but after Yoda healed him, Kreef had a change of heart. Okay? Mando tells Quill to take Baby Yoda back to the ship. Mando tells Kreef to have Kara bring him in uh, to the client as a prisoner. Once Mando gets close enough, he'll kill the client. That's the plan, okay? Uh, they meet with the client. The client asks, why did Mandalore resist the expansion? The Empire improves every system it touches, okay? Uh, the client offers to see the baby. Then the client gets a call, right? Kreef slides Mando a blaster. Grand Moff Gideon tells the client to check for the baby again. And then laser fire erupts and the client is killed along with the stormtroopers. Uh, Gideon's uh, death stormtroopers. Uh, if you've seen Rogue One, they were the stormtroopers in all black. They were called the death troopers. Uh, are outside while reinforcements arrive. Mando tells Quill to get back to the ship and leave with Baby Yoda, but the message is intercepted by Imperial uh, Rangers. So they're on their speeders. Uh, the speeders return the Jedi. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, shoot. Close. Okay, there we go. All right. So then <laughs> Grandma Gideon arrives in a black TIE fighter. Uh, the way the landing sequence is pretty cool. Uh, the speeders shoot down, and we assume Quill is dead. We do see smoke rising from his body. He looked pretty bad. We're going to assume he's dead, okay? And if you didn't know that uh, Quill is, is being played by Nick Nolte, all right? Um, then Baby Yoda is snatched up by the, the, the rangers on the speeders and then returned back to Gideon. And that's the end. What's part one of, of the season finale for um, the Mandalorian? The only question I have, as close as Quill got to the ship, where the hell was IG-11? How come IG-11 did not realize Quill's on his way back? Why didn't Quill say, hey, IG-11, I'm coming back to the ship. I'm being chased down. I need some return fire. I need cover fire. That didn't make sense to me. Hopefully they explain what happened with IG-11 on the ship. Okay, so that's the Mandalorian. Now let's get to the episode that y'all all care about. Uh, the Watchmen season finale. You could honestly say it's series finale because Damon Lindelof said this was a one and done. Okay? This was a one and done. But now, you know, HBO has deep, deep pockets. Do not be surprised if HBO throws a ton of money at Damon to have him write season two. But if you follow the comics, at the end of the comics, it is implied that Angela gets the powers because her hand 
hovers over Rorschach's diary. Okay, so let's get into the Watchmen season series finale, whatever you want to call it. But like I said, Damon said it's a one and done. So let's get into that. Yeah. Let me find it because I'm all over the place. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Adrian Veidt, January 21st, 1993. Congratulates Robert Redford for winning the presidency. Uh, Adrian stands in front of uh, an aquarium housing the giant squid. It's all in Karnak. Okay. Uh, an Asian lady hacks Adrian's office, steals frozen semen, then injects the semen into herself as she says, fuck you, Ozymandias. Okay. Fast forward 2008, Lady True visits Adrian in Antarctica. She tells him how brilliant his plan was for dropping the squid on New York. He invites her in. Redford doesn't return Vite's phone calls. Tells Vite, I could have won the presidency without you. True watches his uh, tenant bomb in action uh, to the point meteorologists cannot tell the difference from the cloud sediments and a tropical storm from the stratosphere. Uh, Adrian created a randomizing algorithm. It's an automated system. So what that means is uh, he created a system to where the computer will pick a a random spot to drop squid. Okay. Uh, True calls it a rerun. Says it was a genius idea 20 years ago, but he's still doing the same thing, just smaller. He stopped the clock. But what happened if you start the clock up again? Doomsday clock, okay? Lady True has a plan to eradicate all nukes. True tells Vite Manhattan is on Europa. True built a subspace antenna. Uh, Manhattan emits a specific uh, radioactive frequency to scan the galaxy, and they got a ping. They got a ping on Europa. True launched a probe in five years, 72 days, 91 hours and 17 minutes, that probe will circle Europa to snap images of Manhattan. So fast forward, or go you can go back. When the probe circled Europa, it caught the picture of Save Me, that Adrian had broke through the dome, left a message with the dead clone bodies, and that's what she saw. Okay? It's a lot of back and forth between, between the present and the future and the past, all right? So then True has a plan to catch him, destroy him, and take his powers to save the planet. All of the things he should have done. So the common thing is everyone's disappointed with Manhattan because he has, he has all these godly powers and is just playing around with it and not using it to his full, his full potential, okay, in their eyes. Um, okay. She's, she's built or she's planned a quantum centrifuge that can absorb his energy and transfer it uh, into true, but she can't afford to build it. She asks Adrian to stake her $42 billion because she's his daughter. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I, I called it last week. I said two weeks ago, I said, I, I guarantee that V is, is, is her father. I called it. I was right. Okay. Adrian says he's never given himself to a woman. His idol is Napoleon. If you know the history of Napoleon, Napoleon liked little Phoenician boys. Okay. 
So him saying this here, we can assume or it's implied that Adrian is gay. Okay. He's never given himself to a woman. Now, why is this man collecting frozen samples of her semen? I don't know. Okay. Um, he says, uh, never give himself to a woman like Alexander the Great. Such hedonistic activity is a distraction. True says Alexander the Great, the refrigerator vaults of semen samples, and says, hi, I'm sample number 2346. Uh, Be young. Vietnamese refugee worked for him in 1985. She was a cleaning woman that disappeared after she injected herself with his legacy. Adrian says she wasn't a cleaning woman. She was a thief. Okay. Adrian says uh, he inherited great wealth and gave it away because he wanted to prove he could achieve everything he wanted from nothing. Adrian offers true nothing and says he, he would never call her daughter. Now, there's a cut scene. The message didn't always, uh, just say, save me. The message said, save me, daughter. In the comic, it said, save me, daughter. And in this series, they cut that part out. So the original message was, save me, daughter. Okay? Uh, back on Europa, in the jail cell, Adrian sees a rocket ship land and then lowers himself into the tunnel underneath his bed, then ends up on the outside of the manor next to the ship. He begins walking towards the ship. The game warden then uh, shoots Adrian, but Adrian catches the bullet, just like he did in the comics, just like he did in the, the Watchmen movie in, uh, in 2009, okay? Uh, he then, they get into a fight. He then stabs the warden with the horseshoe. As the warden lay dying, he asked uh, Ozymandias, uh, why did he make him wear the mask? Adrian says, because masks make men cruel. He had eight years to kill and needed a worthy adversary to keep him sane. The warden asks, um, was he a worthy adversary? And Adrian tells him, no, but you put on a hell of a show. Okay. Uh, the clones say goodbye, and the female maid puts on his gold headband, kisses him on the cheek, and wishes him Godspeed. The ship lifts off. He steps into the uh, uh, preservation booth, and is sprayed with a gold substance. So this whole time, they kept showing the gold statue that was him preserved, okay? Remember in the garden, in Lady True's garden, that's where the statue was. Remember when Blake went to go see her? She was like, oh, wow, this is a statue, right? He looks so old because that was him in real time, just preserved, all right? Lady True revives him. True inquires Ozymandias about his, uh, his time there. Ozzy tells True Manhattan is on Earth. Masquerading as a human, True says she already knows and is, uh, and in an hour she'll, she's going to destroy him. True says she wanted him to watch her achieve anything from nothing. True's hat is a halo. The white hat, the white halo around her head. Uh, Beyond is holding clothes for Adrian. He looks at her and says, you cloned your mother. The millennium clock that begins to activate. True's team set up a time capsule near a newsstand. Ozzy reads that Redford is still president. The newsman says he looks like Ozymandias. Ozzy asks, what's the rumor on his dis disappearance? The newsman says nobody cares. That was 10 years ago. Old news. Ozzy tells the newsman he was stranded on the moon of Jupiter, uh, quietly going insane. Ozzy quotes a Bible verse. 
Philistine has become a wisdom for Egypt. Okay, that line is from the Menepta steel. Okay, the Menepta steel from 1208 BC. This is where it gets deep. The military campaign that Pharaoh Menepta led against Libya or Israel, depending on whose doctrine you follow. Uh, depending on the doctrine, uh, Menepta was the son of Ramses II. Ramses II was the, the password that Beyang had entered into his computer when she broke in to steal the samples of semen. Ramses II, okay? Ramses II, the Greeks called Menepta Ozymandias. The Menepta steel was found in an Egyptian temple named Karnak. Karnak is the name of Adrian's facility in Antarctica. Okay, everything has a rhyme or reason. They don't create names for nothing. Okay, they don't throw Bible quotes. Verse, uh, they don't. They don't throw Bible quotes and verses out there for nothing. All right. Agent Blake is approached by a looking glass in a disguise. Senator King and his father show up to the uh, containment site, and Calvin is transported into the cage. Angela tortures a cavalry member for uh, Calvin's information for his whereabouts. Senator King goes into a speech about Adrian making white people sorry for being white. Holy cow. During the white night, one of King's men called Joe to tell him he's been teleported to Gila Flats, New Mexico. King deduced that it was Manhattan doing that. Angela shows up and sees Blake. She tells King her plan won't his plan won't work because True knows. Angela tells King uh, True let them steal her components. King enters the generator. A flash occurs. Lady True's uh, force shows up and disarms the cavalry members. She tells Angela she's fulfilling a promise to her grandfather. Adrian reveals himself to Blake. The doomsday clock is, po is positioned above the cage holding Calvin. True is transported everybody to True's compound underneath the doomsday clock. Okay. Lady True unlocks the hatch and King's liquefied uh, remains spill out. Lady True says absorbing atomic energy without filtering it will make you pop like a water balloon every time. True then reads a letter from Will. Crawford's wife says, just get on with it. And then she aims the lasers at the cavalry uh, members and they all literally disintegrate. Cain's uh, blood seeped into Calvin's cage. Calvin touches the blood and teleports Looking Glass, Blake, and Adrian back to Karnak. Karnak and, and back in Antarctica to save the day. True is livid at Calvin and asks where he sent them. Angela asks, why didn't he send her away with the others? Calvin says he didn't want to be alone when he dies and to tell her to not touch the light. Now, it, 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 I know a lot of people probably missed the part that um, he, he, he chose to, to spend his last days with Angela and not with Blake. Remember, Blake was the former flame years prior. Okay. Veet fires up the teleportation device. Veet uh, finds out Blake is an FBI agent. Calvin is disintegrating and having flashbacks of their time together. He tells her he loves her and then he explodes 
Angela is hit with concussion blast. Veet is going to teleport frozen baby squid into Tulsa, uh, turning them into uh, hardened objects to destroy the clock and pretty much everybody within five square blocks. Uh, Treat walks, uh, True walks into the centrifuge to absorb Manhattan's power. Veet fires the machine. Uh, Beyond tells Angela to tell her friends to... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'll, I'll mess it up. I mess it up. To leave with her. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Beyond tells Angela to tell her friends to leave. If they, if not, they'll get hurt. Uh, Beyond answered a phone call from Blake. Blake tells her to take cover. Blake tells Angela to run. They're coming from the sky. True gets hit in the hand with a frozen baby squid, and there's a hole in her hand, and she's in disbelief. And then baby squid begin to pelt the area and the doomsday clock. As it's firing up, the clock then falls on top of Lady True, killing her. Angela is running through a hail of squid using a briefcase for protection. Young hides in a phone booth. Uh, Angela runs into the Dreamland Theater to find her grandfather watching the, the grandkids as they're sleeping. Will asks, is he gone? Angela says, yes. Will says, sorry. Will asks, is she gone too? Angela says, yes. Will says, making a deal with her uh, was Calvin's idea. Okay. Angela says, you knew he was going to die and you helped him. Will says, we helped each other. Will says, he was inspired by Bass Reeves. Will says, says he felt fear and hurt and says, wounds need air. Says you can't make an omelet without breaking some a few eggs. Uh, and Calvin told Will, "This is this is how it had to be." Okay, this was all Calvin's. This is Calvin's idea. It, it, it was going to go down this way regardless. Okay. Um, Will tells Angela she'd understand when the time is right. Angela tells Will he can stay for a couple of nights. V gives Blake and Looking Glass Night Owl's old airship. To get back to Tulsa, Blake attempts to arrest Veet for murder for uh, 11-2. Wade has Veet's recordings to Redford. Uh, Blake says, we can we can arrest presidents too. Uh, Veet is knocked unconscious and dragged into custody. It's all implied. It's all implied. Angela, Will, and the kids walk through the damaged area and go to the bakery, then head home. Topher sees the Sister Night outfit. And puts two and two together and figures Angela is Sister Knight. She's a cop. Okay? Angela sees the broken eggs and then a transformation ring while cleaning the broken eggs. Angela finds one egg intact and remembers the convo about uh, infusing his powers uh, if she theoretically ate the egg. Uh, Angela ate and she, she, she Angela goes to the pool, eats the egg, and then takes... A step on the water, but before she hits the water, her the, her foot cut scene. So everything's implied. Everything is implied that she gets the powers. You just don't know how much of it she'll have. It's implied that Adrian will go to trial for the murders of three million people on eleven two. Okay. Um, implied, implied, implied. But once again, Lindelof said this was a one and done. If they do a season two, trust trust and believe it's it's it's, it's a money grab. It'll be a money grab, and it may not be as good as the first season. I'm just saying. All right. So that's The Mandalorian. That's The Watchmen. So let's get into our first movie breakdown. 
gonna call this one the red pill edition for all you angry Negroes that hate women. This is one, this one's for you. We're going to do, we're gonna talk about mahogany. Yes, mahogany, mahogany, Diana Ross, Billy D. Williams. What year did this come out? What year did this come out? Sneaking my notes, sneaking my notes. 1975. There's some, there's some, there's some, there's some themes in this, in this movie uh, that are still affecting people of color today. All right. So the opening scene is Mahogany's Kabuki Line Fashion Show. Mahogany is greeted backstage by Carlotta. She tells Mahogany. She can have anything she wants and that she's a success. Mahogany shouts, success. Carletta, Carletta says, you have everything and everyone. Mahogany says, success. And then Carletta uh, starts mentioning um, she has shows lined up for Tokyo, Paris, and London, and that we're all here to support you and to share it with you. Then Mahogany's face kind of draws a blank, and she goes into a deep thought. Okay, as Carlotta says, we're going to make so much money, so much money. So now we go back into the past, how we got to this point. Okay, flashback. Tracy's in fashion school. Her professor doesn't like her designs. Her next assignment is a basic swimsuit. The professor tells Tracy, no sequins, rhinestones. And then the song cuts in. Do you know this has got the, the, the most saddest goddamn song I've ever heard. This is a suicide song. This is a song you play right before you slit your wrists. This is a tragically sad song. <laughs> there is nothing happy about this song. So let's get into it. On the way home, she's followed by a would-be mugger. She then confronts the mugger aggressively, asking the mugger, uh, do you want to buy some ass? The mugger gets confused and turns around and walks away. And he walks away from her saying, ain't that a bitch? She's a goddamn hoe. So she turned her situation against back on the on the guy, which was funny. Brian, a.k.a. Billy D. Williams, is speaking to the people about gentrification. Gentrification. This movie came out in 1975. It's 44 years ago, people. Okay. He has set up a, a block association to help educate the people and to legally fight back being pushed out of the neighborhoods. Brian cracks a joke asking Tracy if she's going to do anything to prevent the apartment she lives in from being bulldozed. He asks, how are you going to stop a hunky landlord from kicking you out? Tracy responds, it couldn't be worse than coming home to some jackass blowing at me through a bullhorn at 11 o'clock at night. The next morning, Tracy takes her designs to her aunt, who's a seamstress, to make her samples for her fashion line. Brian is back in front of the people. He's on a campaign trail. He wants to be alderman, okay? Right? Uh, he says, the slum lords jack up the rent so high that no one can afford to pay. Then they get the buildings condemned because nobody lives in them and then turn around and sell the land to the city 
to put up projects. Does that sound familiar, people? This was back in 1975, okay? The construction guys are making fun of Brian. Brian mentions programs that are being neglected by the people they were created for. That homes can be purchased for $1. I said he mentioned a program that homes can be purchased for $1. This movie came out in 1975. Do we not have blocks of land in Baltimore, parts of Detroit, the slums and all the hoods that can be purchased for a fucking dollar? This movie is 44 years old, people. This just goes to show how much we've regressed as a people. I don't want to get into social commentary, but I just want you to understand how deep this shit is with, with us, okay? All right. So then Tracy sees Brian's uh, demonstration and decides to pour milk into his bullhorn when he's not looking. Now, see, here's the fuck shit. This, this is the fuck shit. When Brian grabs the bullhorn and spills the milk out on himself, Brian assumes it's one of the construction workers and jumps two of them, and the fist fight breaks out between Brian and his staff and the construction workers. Tracy is laughing and making fun of the fight. You understand? So you got a black woman impeding the progress of a black man trying to help educate his people. And while in defense of his, of, of his agenda... The black woman is making fun of this man. So let's get on. Brian's arrested, spends the night in jail. Tracy bails him out and says, the reason the milk was poured into your bullhorn uh, is because of me. Tracy wrote a bad check to free him and has the nerve to ask Brian to pay her back. Bitch, what? This is 1975. So all this shit that men complain about with women now, 1975, the woman caused the man to go to jail. She she uses a bad check to get him out and has the nerve to ask the nigga to repay her. Okay, let's continue. (laughs) Brian asks if he can come by to pay her back the money, she says, just put it in the mailbox. She says, you can carry a bag of nickels. And she still wouldn't let him in the door and then walks off. Tracy works as a secretary at a fashion store. Tracy meets Sean McAvoy. He's a combat photographer turned high-end fashion photographer. Sean McAvoy is played by Anthony Perkins. Listen, Anthony Perkins, I don't care what movie you've seen him in. He looks off, okay? Anthony Perkins looked crazy as hell when what, especially Psycho. I, I'm, I'm always one of those Ill people that always felt that he was not acting in Psycho. I always felt this motherfucker was really just that crazy. <laughs> All right. So um, <laughs> uh, she walks in with her boss. Sean sees her. Now she's the only, the only sister in, in the group of, and they see a white women. He's like, okay, okay. He says, okay, okay. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. He thinks she's one of the models. So he begins snapping pictures of her. And her boss and supervisor is like, no, she's not a model. She's a secretary. Okay. (laughs) The next day, 
Brian puts a bag of nickels in her mailbox. He asks her out for lunch. She says yes. Okay. As they walk through the torn down sections of the city, Brian explains to her the complexities of gentrification. Brian says he understands her wanting to leave, but somebody has to stay to march, politic, and fight to make this a better place to live. Tracy says, that's you. Brian says, that's me. Next day, Sean is snapping pictures of Tracy in one of her designs. Sean tells Tracy she'd love it in Rome. Tracy asks, why, Sean? Because in Rome, they don't send pretty things out to get coffee. He says, uh, your innocence, your glow. Rome is like a rich old lady that covers her wrinkles up with things that shine. Tracy's supervisor walks in and says uh, she works for an agency that maintains a more conservative policy. Sean tells her supervisor she's the right model for this layout. Miss Evans, the supervisor, says her hands are tied and says she personally feels very different. Sean asks Tracy, do you, you still don't see some, nothing wrong with Chicago? Tracy is then helping Sean with a photo shoot in the hood. They're in the hood now uh, with highlighted models. Sean then um, incorporates some of the poor people into the shots from the neighborhood. Brian shows up. He asks Tracy, uh, how much the model's getting paid? She says 60 to $70 an hour. Brian asks, well, how much are you going to give the old lady? Mm-hmm. Tracy says, that's not the point. This is fashion, not politics. Brian says, everything is politics. Tracy says, not to me. So you have the woman. Not seeing things for what it really is. And the man's trying to tell her, look, bitch, this ain't what you think it is. Okay? All right. Uh, Brian asks Tracy, uh, has Sean offered to show you his dark room? Uh, Brian says, you better get over the... Uh, oh, you better get over there. He needs... Uh, oh, he needs, another, he needs another nigga. Okay? Brian says... He doesn't want to see her get sucked into the, into a ripoff. Brian asks, so is this what the big dream is about? Tracy says, I'm working with Sean McAvoy. I don't think you understand what that means to somebody like me. Brian says, he doesn't understand this whole thing. Making clothes for rich folks. You think that that crap means anything to these people here? Tracy says, it does to me. Tracy says, she's tired of being bullied. Uh, what she can or can't do for e from everybody. Tracy says, I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get into it now. Brian says, you can't get into it ever. Brian walks off. Sean leaves for Rome and tells her at some point she's coming to Rome and that he never lets a good obsession get away. He says, you're coming to Rome. You'll be hearing from me and gives her a kiss. Tracy gets fired from her job for shopping her designs to rival competitors. Tracy continues to shop her designs with zero, zero interest. Brian is heavy on the campaign trail for Alderman at, at the unemployment office. Tracy says, uh, now she's joking. She sees Brian at the, at the office. So this is the, the joke they have between each other. She says, I'm a widow from the South Side. 
my old man left me with six kids and the heat's been off for a week. And all the kids got the flu. What are you going to do about that? So then Brian says, well, have, have you spoken with your landlord? Tracy says, landlord, nothing. I want my old man back. Brian, become, Brian becomes flustered because he doesn't know what to say, how to answer these questions. He asks her, do you have a block association? Brian says his first uh, his, his, his first uh, rule as ultimate is to establish a block association for those to express themselves to the city council. Okay. Uh, playful banner go back and forth between her finding an old man. So they just, they go out for lunch. Okay. Uh, they kiss and make up. Tracy jumps on Brian's campaign team. She's helping him with his speech with the PTA association. She tells him to appeal to the women. Huh? She says appeal to the women because they go out and vote. This movie is 44 years old. Brian wants Tracy uh, to go accompany him with a, to a dinner with a congressman. The next day at the campaign uh, uh, headquarters, Tracy is leaving for a meeting. Uh, Brian reminds her of the dinner meeting she set up with the Independent Democratic Party. Brian says, what's the big deal about the fashion party? They've all said no to you anyway. Uh-oh. Tracy says, and what I'm doing is not important. Brian says, you're becoming a pain in the ass. Brian says, you're involved in something meaningful. Tracy says, yeah, your career. And you've forgotten about mine. Brian says, you can't forget something you've never that's never existed. Don't you think it's time? It's about time you faced up to it. Later that night, Tracy gets a phone call from Sean telling her to leave for Rome that night. Tracy returns back to, hate, uh, to headquarters. And has Will tell Brian that she's leaving for Rome and for Will to tell him that she loves him. Tracy arrives in Rome. Sean shows her. Uh, okay, so she, she, she goes to Rome. She goes to Sean's place, right? So then Sean shows her his private shrine of a, a model named Crystal. She's been on every cover of every magazine in the world. And under every cover in Rome, says Sean. He says, they're my friends. Sean tells Tracy to unbutton her top to compare it to Crystal. He says, I give all my creations the name of inanimate objects. Tracy says, what are you going to call me, coat hanger? Sean says, there's only one word that, he says, there's only one word, rich, chocolate, beautiful, and rare, mahogany. Tracy tells Sean she's going to be a designer. Sean says, and you will, but you have to learn how to stroll down the runway first. Okay. So then Mahogany uh, goes to the Davina agency to possibly get signed. All the men are like, she's too flat chested. We need her to have silicone implants. Uh, Mahogany gets upset and threatened and is about to leave. And then the female owner, Carlotta Gavina. Uh, she asks, she asks Mahogany, well, when can you start? Mahogany is a hit. She's on Harper's Bazaar, Elle and Vogue covers. Uh, Carlotta, it's implied Carlotta is a lesbian. It's implied because there's a scene when they're at the newsstand looking at her on the cover 
And then Carlotta's like, I'm doing so many things for you. And then Sean says, well, yes, that's why you get paid commission. Okay? Because Sean knows. All right? It's implied. All right. Back at Sean's apartment, Sean makes a move on, on Mahogany. She denies him. And then Sean becomes aggressive and she gives in. Back on the campaign trail, Brian is, at, is in Cicero talking to factory workers trying to garner support and is pelted with fruit. And then uh, Brian is hit in the head and in the face with a, a beer can. And then he gets into a fight again. <laughs> Brian is like the most fightingest, uh, you know, campaign guy out there. Like, he'll fight you. Okay. Okay. Back at Sean's, Mahogany tells him it doesn't matter. And it's, it's not the only thing in the world. The next day at a shoot, Mahogany shows up wearing one of her designs instead. Sean rips the beads, bead necklace off of her. She slaps him and then walks off set. Now, at a fashion show later on, okay, uh, she's invited to a huge fashion show. Mahogany takes a chance and wears one of her designs. She's the last one out. So she's wearing one of her, her Japanese-inspired kabuki things. And she's modeling it. And everybody's like, what, what the hell is this? They're all stunned, like, what is she, what is she doing? Okay. So then Sean's in the in the crowd. He says, uh, he cracks a joke and says, Well, I offer 500 lira. This is they're in Rome, they're in Italy. This is Lira. Okay. He says, I offer 500 lira. And everyone begins laughing. Okay. But then this guy named Christian, he stands up, he says, uh, he offers 20 million lira for her design. After the show, Mahogany meets Christian. Christian offers her a drink. Mahogany says, this is my first sale and you can have whatever you want. Christian says, I'll have the drink for now. Sean walks uh, walks over and tries to get back uh, in her good graces. Mahogany says she doesn't want to see him, uh, but agrees to still go to the, her guest of honor party. Because he's throwing her a huge party. She's the guest of honor. The next day, Brian flies out to visit Mahogany in Rome. Brian lost the election. Mahogany takes him shopping for tailored suits. Brian goes to Mahogany's party and is overwhelmed by the culture shock of drag queens at the party. Even though this is 1975. Brian meets Sean. Brian says his party is a zoo. Sean quips back. Tracy says he's into making things better. That's why I love him and then gives him a kiss. So now Tracy Mahogany is using Brian to make Sean jealous. 1975. Okay. Uh, Brian says you should stick labels on people so it, it'd be easier to tell who is what uh, with the use of a toe tag. Sean says don't speak ill of the dead. Everything has a soul, except inanimate objects. And then Tracy walks off. And uh, Sean says he's an, he's a fetishist. Sean invites him to, to see his gun collection. Sean says nothing is more straightforward than a gun, the ultimate uh, inanimate object. Sean and Brian begin to tussle over the gun. They flip over the desk. Brian gets the mounted position and points the gun at Sean's face, then pulls the trigger, and the gun is empty. Sean begins to laugh, and Brian walks away dazed and confused. 
Brian tells Mahogany he's got to go and that he can't live it. Mahogany is drunk. She begins to dance, partially strip, and pour candle wax onto herself in front of her patrons. Uh, Mahogany returns back to apartment later on that night to find Brian packed. He's waiting on the cab. Red pill, niggas, this is for you. Here we go. Mahogany still drunk and begins to verbally attack Brian. <laughs> and to, <laughs> he, and he tells her, uh, he tells he, he found a success and that she can't stand it. Me, Mahogany. Brian tells her, you have success, but you're all alone. Mahogany says, did you see these people? They love me. They all love me. The men love me. The women love me. Uh, Brian, Brian, they don't love you. They love some. Brian says they don't love you. They love some cartoon character, some madman made up in his sleep, a freak of the month. He tells her if she stays here, she's in for a lot of trouble. She says, I'm a winner. and You can't stand it because nobody loves you. Brian says, oh, I thought somebody loved me and heads for the door. Mahogany berates him some more. And she says, you want to know why? Because you a loser and pours a glass of champagne over his head. Brian then grabs her up. <laughs> Brian says to her, let me tell you something. Don't you ever forget it. Success is nothing without someone you love to share it with. And if you ever become Tracy Chambers again, you know where I'll be. He walks out the door. Mahogany says, who the hell do you think you are? I hate you. I hate you. You're a goddamn loser. And she begins to cry and spaz out. Okay. The next day at the photo shoot, <laughs> Mahogany is still drunk. The, she, she's driving the car. She rams the camera truck with the prop car. Uh, Sean, uh, she asks Sean to postpone because she's really tired. She's, just, she's not feeling it. Sean gets in the driver's seat and begins to take pictures of her. And he accuses her, accuses her of wanting to be with Brian. And then Brian and then uh, Sean begins to drive the car at a high rate of speed. Now, everybody remembers this particular scene. If you don't remember the movie, you remember this particular scene. So while they're driving at a high rate of speed, he's snapping pictures of her and she's trying to grab the steering wheel. Like, what are you doing? You're going to crash. You stop the car, stop the car, stop the car, all right? He says he wants to see death. He seen, he says he's seen, he's seen, he's seen life, and he's ne- but he wanted to see, he's never seen death. He wanted to see death. So uh, while all the while, Mahogany's trying to take the wheel. So she finally is like, okay, fine, here, take my pictures, take my pictures. So she's in, she finally trying to, you know, give him what he wants so he'll, she, he'll stop the car. So he's driving crazy. He's taking pictures of her. No one's grabbing, his, no one on the steering wheel. All right. So then as they careen towards an embankment, uh, she turns off the ignition. It causes the car to lock its steering wheel. And then they hit, they jump into a highway construction site dump and they hit a dirt pile. Okay. (laughs) Next scene, Mahogany is wrapped up in bandages. bandages. Uh, Carletta shows Mahogany the last pictures Sean took of her before the crash. Sean is dead. Died in a crash. Mahogany asks, oh, how did I get out of the hospital? 
in walks Christian. She says, well, my grandfather built it and says, he'll take better, I'll take better care of you. Mahogany asks, what's the catch? Christian says, what do you think? Christian takes Mahogany around his estate, shows her her own staff for Mahogany Creations. Okay? Christian says, a good deal is when both parties, both parties getting what they desire most. We fast four weeks later. Tracy is, uh, has a photo shoot. No, no, she's, 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 she's come irate. She's very short tempered. She's yelling at all the staff because they don't really speak English. They speak Italian. And she's like, Caprisco, no, Caprisco, Caprisco. So she's berating the employers. Okay. So then it got so bad, Christian steps in. And he had to remind her it's his money that pays the staff. He said, it's like with dogs. It's the tone, not the words. Now we fast forward back to the present scene at the beginning of the movie. After the debut of Mahogany's Kabuki line, Tracy goes back on stage for for more adulation. Okay. Back at Christian's, he's getting impatient about her not sleeping with him. He says for weeks, she's been dodging him and tells her to go to his room. He tells her to take off the dress. Christian undresses her and begins to make out with her, but she's not into it. And he stops and asks, you would do it, wouldn't you? She says, a deal's a deal, time to pay up. Christian asks, where would she go? She tells Christian she wants to go home. Christian flies her back home to Chicago the next day. Brian is back on the campaign trail. He's running for 2nd con- Congressional District of Congress. The crowd is questioning him. Then a woman yells out, I'm a widow from the South Side. My old man left me with six kids. The heat's been off a week and the kids got the flu. What are you going to do about that? So this is probably the best part of the whole movie, right? This is where we all get like, oh, oh, they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we, we get excited at this point, right? Brian asks, uh, he, 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 he says, well, who said that? Who said that? Step forward, please. Uh, he then sees Tracy and asks, do you want me to help you, help you with your landlord? She says, hell no, I want, I want you to help me get my old man back. Brian says, well, madam, if you really want your old man back, are you prepared to stand by him when the going gets rough? She says, yes. Brian says, madam, would you love and cherish your man for the rest of your life? Uh, and she's walking through the crowd towards him. She says, yes. Brian says, madam, if you're willing to do all that, I guarantee I'll get you your old man back. <laughs> and they come together and they kiss. It's the most beautiful shit in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> This bitch had to go through hell. <laughs> she had to humble her, humble herself. <laughs> it is a beautiful tragedy. <laughs> Let's be honest. How many men have gone through this with a woman? <laughs> so the kiss and the music playing, the song comes on again. Oh, my God. The suicide song comes on again. 
there's one part, there's one line, a, few, a couple lines in the movie when uh, Brian and Tracy are in Rome and they're looking at the ruins, okay? Uh, Brian says, you know, here they call them ruins back home. They call them slums. Tracy says, in Chicago, we tear them down and here we pay to see them. I thought that was pretty profound. But yo, 1975, every dysfunctional thing uh, in this movie, we're still going through it today. Uh, gentrification, um, submiss submission, submission. <laughs> it was, I, you know what? I haven't seen this movie in decades and I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I was so happy that I, I put it on my list to watch it. Um, yeah, because given the state of black men and black women, I need to see this movie. I need to watch this movie again. So that was Mahogany. I'm not going to take a break. We're going to keep going. Fuck the phone calls. Let's, let's, let's just go. The second movie, what do I want to do? Okay, the second movie we're going to do is Midsummer. Now, can you believe somebody's trying to call me right now? Are you fucking kidding me? So Midsummer. Um, this one is, is for... Uh, I think I think Heru donated to Heru Heru or Teku. One of you guys donated to me for this movie. It was your birthday coming up, and I said I, I'll get on it and get this movie review, and and I got it done. Now, a couple things to consider with Midsummer. Um, this is not one particular Swedish Swedish ritual. There's a bunch. Okay, what I'm saying is it's a mixture of different um, European rituals in this movie okay there's some norse mythology in here there's a couple swedish some shits up in here so they kind of took bits and pieces from a little bit of everywhere with this particular movie um so let me find my notes and we'll get into it bear with me i got a lot of notes so the guy this was a college course i'd be, I'd be in this class i'm sorry for all the, the paper crippling here we go. Midsummer. All right. Midsummer. Here we go. All right. Harga is a real life ritual. Now, there's stories behind the Harga. Uh, it is a traditional maypole song and dance. The story goes the devil appears as a fiddler, forcing villagers to dance until death with the last woman standing, becomes the May Queen, okay? There was a king in 11th century Sweden, and it ties into the, the genocide. Genocide is when old people commit suicide, but they call it genocide, all right? So now let's get into it. Danny gets a message from her sister, Terry. Terry has murdered both of her parents and herself. Danny calls Christian. Christian tells Danny, uh, she lets Terry get away with things by responding. Terry is bipolar, and Danny has a fa uh, have family history of mental illness. Danny takes Adivan for anxiety. Christian's friends want him to dump Danny. Christian feels guilty. Danny is told her parents and sister are dead. Danny is very codependent, very needy. She uses uh, Christian as an anchor. This is a serious, serious red flag here. Do not need to be with a woman like this. All right. Firefighters discover the dead bodies uh, inside the home. Uh, Terry attached hoses to their rooms from the car vehicles, from the exhaust into the home. So the parents died in their sleep. 
Terry had a mask with a hose running to a to the exhaust of a, a vehicle, and she's on the floor dead. Okay. Uh, Christian tries to console Danny. Uh, moving forward, Christian and friends are invited to Sweden for the summer by Pele. Christian and Danny argue about Christian not telling her about his trip to Sweden. Danny's very passive aggressive. Okay. Uh, Christian reflects or he relents and invites Danny. Now, Christian invited Danny, not thinking Danny would accept the invitation. She accepts the invitation. Uh, Christian tells the guys he invited Danny. Uh, Pele and Danny make small talk. Small talk. Pele explains uh, what to expect in the commune where he's from. Pele tells her he too lost his parents. And then Danny runs off to have an episode. Okay. Like mental anxiety. She starts crying, all that extra shit. All right. Pele cracks a joke saying Josh was already brainwashed when he found him. Josh is the brother. Josh is the brother doing research on uh, European um, religious summer uh, rituals and stuff, okay? Pele introduces the Americans to his commune and a Swedish couple named Connie and Steven. Pele has ulterior motives, okay? It's pretty obvious. Um, <clears throat> Ingmar offers the group uh, psilocybin, it is a hallucinogenic, or it's a, it's a psychedelic, sorry. It's a psychedelic. Danny begins to have hallucinations of her sister, Terry, and people laughing at her. Uh, six hours later, Danny awakens, awakens out of her trip and goes hiking to Pele's commune. They have a, 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 a like a, a little brunch. They're all seated. The shape of the of the scene, it's an ancient uh, runic symbol, the way that the seating positions are, okay? Uh, the commune plays Skin the Fool. Uh, Maya kicks Christian. This is when in the trailers you saw the girl kick the dude on the ground, okay? We'll get into that in a minute. Christian joins in. Maya has her sights set on Christian. Pele gives Danny a hand-drawn portrait for her birthday, he says to keep it to yourself. Danny says Christian forgot her birthday. And she says, well, she has to remind him it's her birthday. Simon and Connie are engaged. They're the Swedish couple. Christian inquires about the yellow triangle box temple. Uh, there's a bed, there's a bear in the cage. There's a quilt. Demonstrating the story of the May Queen, Pele goes, goes on to explain the life cycles in their commune. So, child from 0 to 18 is spring. The pilgrimage is from 18 to 36. That's summer. The working age is from 36 to 54. That is the fall. And then you become a mentor until the age of 72. 72, masonry. That is called winter. So then Danny asks, well, what happens at the age of 72? And then Pele goes, he does the, the, the sign like that, right? You know what that means, okay? She thinks he's joking. So then um, <laughs> Christian gives Danny a birthday cake. The next day is at a stupa. 
Atastupa is a long known ritual where in the olden days, two old people, the elders, would throw themselves either off a cliff or into the sea. Okay? So they go to the at they go, they're invited to the Atastupa. You have the two elders, male and female. They're the, they're the guests. Uh, they're the guests of honor. They're being celebrated. You know, they sit at the head of the table. Blah 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 blah. blah. Okay. So then they are there on the bottom of this cliff. The old people walk up. They're on the very top of this cliff. And then before they they take their dive, they cut their hands, and then the blood is placed on their burial stones. But it's in there. It's in runic symbols. So you don't know what that means if unless you knew rumix sim, sim, symbology, okay? So the, the old lady throws herself off the cliff. And when you're watching this, you literally watch her fall and hit the rock. And she bounces and her face is crushed. And she and, and everyone's horrified, the Americans and the Swedish. They're like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? Oh my God, what is this? What is this? Right? So then the old man jumps, but the old man didn't jump right. He didn't, he didn't jump correctly. So when you do this, when you, if you're going to jump off a cliff and off yourself, it's best to just basically do a, uh, a flat, like you're going to do a cannonball. You know, how you do a cannonball into the pool. You just let your body splay out and just hit the, hit it. You know, he jumped off and landed on his legs. Lord have mercy. So then he's wailing because he's in pain. So then the villagers wail with him. They mimic his wailing and his suffering. His leg is bent backwards. It's twisted and it's hanging by its tendons. <laughs> so everyone is like, the Americans is like, oh my God. Someone runs off to get, they throw up and whatever. So they bring in this mallet to finish him off. They beat him in the head twice, crush his fucking entire skull. All right. <laughs> Simon and Connie become agitated. The Americans are filled with disbelief. Simon and Connie decide to leave. Siv, the cult leader, she explains that they reached the end of their Harga life. Uh, they happily give their lives. They believe in reincarnation. Kristen tells Josh he's doing his thesis on Harga. Josh gets offended. Christian introduces himself to Maya. Pele tells Josh he'll ask the elders for permission to research the Harga. Danny is trying to leave, but Pele convinces her to stay and tells her he was the most excited for her to come. The sacrificed bodies of the elders are burned. And then a little boy named Roar offers his life to feed the goddess. Danny interrupts and creates a division amongst the villagers. The boy's life is spared. Danny tells Christian she wants to leave. Christian tells Danny he wants to stay to do his thesis. Danny tells Christian they will never let anybody reveal their secrets. Christian tells Danny he feels trapped and locked into her. Simon and Connie drive off that night. The next day, Pele tells Josh he can do his research and has to split his, his information with Christian. Maya placed a love room underneath Christian's bed. Mark 
accidentally takes a piss on the ancestral tree. That's a no-no. One of the members of the village literally breaks down and has a, a conniption fit because the ancestral tree uh, is, is basically is you know the memories of that. It's it, it's highly important. Mark being an American is like, what's the big deal? I didn't know. I'm sorry. It's not a, you know he's kind of is like he's very aloof. It's like oh why well, you know it's a tree, right? He's not he's not very being respectful of of another one's culture and how deeply they take it. So. Uh, the, the man is infuriated. They're all trying to calm him down and shit like that, okay? So then Connie is looking for Simon. An elder t- tells Connie that Simon has already left for the train station. So you already know what time it is. Uh, Reuben. Reuben is a an oracle. How do you become an oracle in this village commune? You have to be a product of inbreeding. This, if you remember in a con in the, in the trailers, he the swollen face. He looks like he had a, a, a has a high reaction to bee stings, or whatever. His face is all puffy and swollen. He is an oracle. He is the one who draws into their uh, their sacred Bible. He writes that shit. He scribbles, whatever the case may be. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the commune sometimes uh, the commune sometimes invites outsiders for population purposes. Josh does more research on the runic Bible. Reuben is the writer of the Bible because he is unclouded. All of their uh, oracles are products of inbreeding. Connie can be heard screaming in the background. You hear a lady, you hear a lady screaming like you're just you're sitting there watching the movie. People just doing their things in different scenes, and you hear a lady screaming. Right? Okay. Mark is led away by one of the female villagers. The group is told Connie was driven to the train station. Uh Uh-huh. Danny asks, why would Simon leave Connie? Danny tells Christian she can see him leaving her like that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Christian discovers a pubic hair in his pie. That night, Josh sneaks into the temple to take pictures of the sacred runic text, but is then discovered by a man wearing a mask made from Mark's skin and is then hit over the head and dragged away. The next day, Christian is questioned about Mark and Josh's whereabouts because the runic book is missing. Danny and Christian are split up. Danny ingests a psychedelic, then competes in a maypole competition. The elder Siv questions Christian's feelings about Maya. He's told he's an astrological match and that she fixed on him from a photo given to her by Pele. They were set up, didn't even know it. During the Maypole, Christian is given a psychedelic. Danny wins and is crowned the May Queen and is now officially in the family. Christian then engages in a sex ritual with Maya. There's naked women surrounding Maya, who's also naked on the floor. They begin to have sex. The ladies begin to mimic Maya's moans. All the while, Reuben is watching them. Okay. Okay, Danny 
has another episode. Maya says she can feel the baby. Christian runs outside. Christian runs into the shed to discover Simon has been blood eagled. Let me break down what the blood eagle is. The closest thing I can describe to you is a blood eagle. Uh, remember the Saw movie? When the detective had the, uh, the, the, the metal thingies attached to her rib cage, and the trap was already, it wasn't a fair trap. He, was, he, was gonna, he wasn't going to let her out. Remember how he ripped her apart? Okay, so the blood eagle, something like that. This is, this is an old Norse uh, torture, uh, torture. Uh, okay, so now the blood eagle is a ritualized method of execution detailed in late skaldic poetry. Uh, the victims in both cases are members of royal families were placed in a prone, a prone position, their ribs severed from the spine with a sharp tool, and their lungs pulled through the opening to create a pair of wings. The authenticity of the blood eagle. It is a historically uh, ritual stating that it is a clearly a human sacrifice to the Norse god Odin. Characterizing St. Saint, Saint Dunstan's description uh, as an accurate account of a body subjected to the ritual of the blood eagle. The writer of the Blood Eagle, where she writes, the by the beginning of the 19th century, the various saga motifs, eagle sketch, rib division, lung surgery, and saline stimulant were combined in inventive sequences designed for maximum horror. Uh, alliterative kinnings that alluded to leaving one's foe face down on the battlefield, their backs torn as carrion or by scavenging birds. Uh, Okay, so that's the blood eagle. So that's what happened to poor Simon. All right. Uh, and then as a cult member blows powder into Christian's face, he, he immediately becomes uh, paralyzed. Christian is not able to move or speak. Nine sacrifices must be offered to purge the evil from the commune. Four outsiders, Josh, Mark, Connie, and Simon, he had four cult members, were the two elders, plus two volunteers, which is Ingmar and Ulf. Danny, as the May Queen, has to choose the final victim between Torbjorn and Christian. Danny selects Christian. Danny had walked in and, and saw Christian and Maya in, in the sex ritual. That's why she picked him. Okay. All the bodies are brought to the yellow sacred temple. Christian still paralyzed, just stuck inside of a, a disemboweled bear. Remember the bear from the first, from the beginning, right in the cage. And placed inside the temple, and the temple is set on fire. Pele is congratulated for bringing in the outsiders and being unclouded. Wolf begins to scream in pain while the villagers mimic his screams. Danny is seen sobbing. While the villagers purge themselves, and then Danny begins to smile happily. The end. Uh, <laughs> crazy movie. Uh, listen, these guys were set up. There was no way they're going to get out of here alive. No way. 
they were just they were set up um now let's get into some of these rituals uh for for the swedish with some of this uh that was in the movie now um okay 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 give me a moment give me a moment okay uh, there were indeed inst- extensive practices of human sacrifice throughout the ancient Sweden, traceable to the 11th century, and the rituals existed primarily for the magical purposes of bringing about a better harvest. King Domalde, an, an 11th century ruler, was offered as his subject's ultimate sacrifice after lesser sacrifices did not help the land prosper. And it goes, the first autumn they sacrificed oxen, but the succeeding season was not improved, thereby... The following autumn, they sacrificed men, but the succeeding year was rather worse. The third autumn, when the offer of sacrifices should begin, a great multitude of Swedes came into Upsalir, and now the chiefs held consultation with each other, and all agreed that the times of scarcity were on account of their king, Domal, and they resolved to offer him for good seasons and to assault and kill him and sprinkle the stalate of the gods with his blood. And so they did. Wait, give me a moment. Uh, Paul Tildum, a Swedish author who has written extensively about Swedish folklore and traditions, confirmed that the very notion of a midsummer ritual is, in fact, still in practice throughout the country to this day. Mm, okay. The uh, usage of hallucinogenics in these ceremonies is widely, is widely known. Uh, give me a moment. Give me a moment. Okay. Okay. Love spell. According to the book, Crime and Justice in Late Medieval Italy by Trevor Dean. Dean found at least one record of a maiden baking her pubic hair and menstrual blood into a pastry in order to magically attract a potential suitor. That's the scene where you saw Christian pull out the pubic hair in his pie. Okay. See, I think that's pretty much it. And that that is the breakdown of Midsummer. Um, hey, that's a trippy, trippy flick. It's a trippy flick. Now, uh, once again, no breaks, uh, all gas. We're gonna go into my final movie for the breakdown tonight. Your your favorite of mine, Eyes Wide Shut. The movie allegedly that got Stanley Kubrick killed. Right, I say allegedly because he died six days before he's supposed to turn in the final cut. The only people to see the cut at that time were Warner Brother executives and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Give me notes. If you're just tuning in, you're late. I'm breaking some shit down. You missed. Just want to catch the replay. All right, eyes wide shut. 1999. 19 motherfucking 99. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Okay. This movie is one huge inverted ritual. And I will explain why it's an inverted ritual towards the end of this breakdown. So now we have Bill and Alice attend a Christmas party thrown by one of Bill's wealthy patients, Victor Ziegler. Okay. This tends to me. I'm working. I'm working. Why y'all messing with me? 
I'm sorry, y'all. I'm being harassed right now. Uh, okay. Bill recognizes former medical student Nick Nightingale. Alice is at a bar, and an old man, a Hungarian named Sandor Saros, tries to seduce Alice. Sandor asks, who is she here with? She says, her husband. Sander asks Alice to dance. Alice reveals she's out of a job and used to run an art gallery. Sander says he has friends that can help. Sander mentions uh, deceptions make it necessary for both parties in a marriage and asks, why is she married? Bill is talking to two models. One of the models is named Nuala Windsor. Nuala Windsor. The House of Windsor. I'm leaving breadcrumbs for y'all, okay? Sandor reveals why women used to get married to lose their virginity and have sex with the man they really wanted. The models attempt to take Bill to a room, but is interrupted by a request from Victor. Victor has an escort that has OD'd on a speedball named Mandy. Sandor asks Alice... If she's seen Victor's sculpture galleries and invites her upstairs to look at it. Bill resuscitates Mandy. Bill tells Victor to keep her there an hour and then have someone take her home. Alice leaves Sandor. Sandor says he needs to see her again. That night, Bill and Alice have sex. The next morning, Bill is at his practice. He's a doctor. Alice is home with their daughter. That night, Bill and Alice smoke weed. Alice asks Bill if he if he fucked the two models. Bill denies it. Bill tells Alice he went he went upstairs at Victor's request. Bill also uh, Bill asks Alice, but what did the guy she was dancing with say? She says sex. Bill says that's understandable because you're a beautiful woman. Alice gets offended. Why do you ask? Because at the very she, she gets offended at the at the fact that men only want to fuck her because she's beautiful. Duh. Alice asks Bill, "What about the models?" Bill says he's the exception because he's in love with Alice and he would never hurt her or keep anything from her. Alice gets further upset at the notion that Bill wouldn't sleep with the models only out of consideration for her. Alice asks Bill. What does he feel when he's touching uh, another woman's breast at work? Bill says it's impersonal, professional. He feels nothing. Sex is the last thing on his mind. Bill says he's never been jealous of of her because she's his wife and the mother of his child and that she will never be unfaithful. Mm, mm, mm. Tisk, tisk. Alice begins to laugh, then reveals last summer at Cape Cod, there was a naval officer uh, there, the officer sent Alice a message via the waiter. She saw him the morning prior and says the whole while with Bill, the officer was in her mind. And if he wanted her for one night, she would have given up everything. The marriage and their daughter for and future for the officer and tells Bill her love for Bill is both tender and sad at the same time and woke up the next day in a panic, wondering if he was still there. Then she says she was relieved when she found out he left. 
Mm, mm, mm. Bill gets a call that Lou Nathanson has died. Bill has visions of the officer with his wife. Bill goes to comfort Lou's, wife, uh, Lou's daughter. Okay, He makes house calls too. He said, doctor's the wealthy. Uh, Lou's daughter is distraught. Lou is dead in his bed. Lou's daughter then kisses Bill and tells him she loves him and doesn't want to leave with her fiance, Carl. Bill tries to calm her down. Carl arrives. Bill leaves. Bill is walking down the street, still having visions of Alice with the naval officer and is then berated by a bunch of skull and bones initiates. I guess that's what they were. They were skull and bone initiates. Okay, making all these really crass um, uh, homosexual jokes, and they were Yale students. Okay, put that together. All right. Bill meets a, a, a hooker. She brings him home. She charges Bill one fifty an hour. Uh, Alice calls Bill asking when he's coming home. Bill decides to leave and offers to pay her regardless. So they didn't have sex. Bill stops in the Sonata Cafe to see Nick Nightingale. Bill and Nick catch up. Nick has another gig later on that night. He only knows the address the address, an hour before his set. Well, Bill asks, what's the big secret? Nick says, I just play the piano. Nick tells Bill he plays blindfolded. Blindfolds, people. Pay attention. Nick says he's never seen anything like what he's seen in such women. Nick gets a call with the location and shows Bill the password. Passwords for Delia. Bill demands Nick give him the, the address. Nick says it won't work because everyone is in costume and mask. Where are you going to find one at this hour? Bill goes to Peter at Rainbow Fashions to get a mask and costume. Uh, Peter sold it to Mr. Lilich. He's a Russian. Bill gets a mask and cloak with a, with a hood and a tux. The owner's daughter is caught with two men. She's underage. She's 15 and takes a liking to Bill and tells him he should have a cloak lined with ermine. Ermine is a fur. Bill shows up and says Fidelio and is let in. Fidelio is Beethoven's only opera. The triumph of marital love. Okay. Bill witnesses a, a ritual taking place and the red cloak. In, in, the, in the red cloak or the priest in red and Nick is playing with blindfolds on the women surrounding the priests disrobe and are naked wearing masks. The audience is watching the women spread a kiss around the circle. Two members in the rafters notice Bill isn't a regular and not in his direction. The priest, the red priest or the red cloak sends the women off to pick a host to be with. Now I, I forget what the, what the device is called, but you know, uh, Catholics, when they uh, have the swinging ball with the with the incense that comes out of it, that's what he was doing with the women. He was blessing the women, okay? Bill is selected and led away. The woman tells Bill off the top. He's in a mask and a hood. She tells him off the top. You don't belong here. Don't be foolish and to leave. He's in great danger. The woman is taken away by another masked man Bill walks into a room where an orgy is taking place. Every room has an orgy. The witnesses are watching. Bill is approached by a woman and she asks if he's been enjoying himself. Bill is taken by the same woman 
who tried to warn him. She says, you can't fool them much longer and you have to go now. You don't realize the danger you're in. You've got to get away before it's too late. Bill says, come with me. She says, impossible. It could cost her her life and possibly Bill's. Bill is told his taxi driver wants a word with him. Mind you, this dude showed up in a taxi. Okay. And is told, uh, so he, he's, led, he's led to a room. Uh, he's led to the back of the room with the red priest and is told to come forward. The priest asks for the password. Bill says, Fidelio. Priest says, that is correct. That's the password for admittance. But what's the password for the house? Bill says he forgot it. The priest tells Bill to remove his mask and get undressed. Bill tries to reason with him. The masked lady offers herself to redeem him and says she's ready to do so. The crowd murmurs. They're like, ooh, this is a really big deal. Bill is free to leave, but is warned by the red cloak about mentioning anything he's seen. Bill returns home and Alice is laughing in her sleep. Alice had a dream. They were naked in the desert and she felt ashamed. Then a man walked out of the out of the woods. It was a naval officer and he was laughing at her. She was in the middle of an orgy in front of Bill and a crowd of people. So to make Bill uh, jealous, she started laughing. The next day, Bill tries to get in touch with Nick, but is told he already checked out. The clerk says Nick came in at 4.30 a.m. with two big guys and had a bruise on his cheek, and he looked scared. Now, Nick is from Seattle, wife and kids. He's in New York. It's a long way from home. Okay, so he's a traveling pianist Okay, for these people. All right. Bill still has visions of the naval officer. Uh, Bill returns the items to the store and meets the owner's daughter again with the same two men he accused of sleeping with his daughter. The owner says we've come to an agreement and says if the good if the good doctor needs anything, it needn't be a costume. He's pointing to his daughter. Okay. Bill leaves work early and heads back to the manor that held the private event. A car pulls up to the gate and old Ben gets out and hands Bill a letter that reads, give up your inquiries. This is your second warning. Bill returns home. Bill replays Alice's dream in his head. Bill goes back to see Domino, the hooker from the previous night. Uh, Her roommate lets her in, Sally. Sally tells Bill that Domino is HIV positive. Bill then leaves. Bill is being followed. Bill enters a restaurant and reads the paper and sees ex-beauty queen dies of drug overdose. Bill goes to the morgue to identify the body. It was Mandy from uh, the party, from Victor's party. Hey, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. Yes, dude. Mandy was the masked lady also that was trying to warn him at the party. Okay. Bill gets a call from Victor. Victor tells Bill he knows what's been happening and he was at the house and witnessed everything. Victor questioned how he even got through the door, but remembers him talking to Nick. Victor recommended Nick. Bill takes the blame. 
Victor tells Bill he went to Nick's hotel and told the, the clerk uh, Victor had, had left. Victor had Bill follow. Says they put Nick on a plane back to Seattle. Yeah, right. Victor said if, if he told you the names, you wouldn't sleep so well. Victor said there was no second password. He gave himself away by showing up in the cab and the rental receipt from the costume store in his coat. Bill tells Victor about the masked woman. Victor says he knows who she is, a hooker. Victor tells Bill everything was staged. Well, Bill asks why. Victor says to scare you into being quiet. Bill shows Victor Mandy's obituary. Now, now, mind you, there's certain scenes in this movie where this is there's this piano song. Oh my God, it's the most nerve-wracking song. It's not even a song. It's just like ding, 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 ding. I'm just like, oh my God, this music is so it's so ominous, <laughs> and it just it just adds to the tension of this movie. Okay, so I'm, I'm moving on. Victor says the woman, uh, the woman at the party, she was the woman at the party. And Bill asks, what kind of Charade ends up with somebody being dead. Victor says she was a junkie. She OD'd. Bill returns home to find his rented mask on the pillow next to Alice. Bill then begins to cry and confesses everything to Alice the next day. Bill and Alice take Helena, their daughter, Christmas shopping. There's a bear, a bunch of bears in the store. And then Helena picks up a bear. And then there's more bears. Okay. Uh, Bill asks Alice, well, what should they do? Then Helena walks away from Bill and Alice. She looks back. Then continues walking behind one of the old men from the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Alice says, we should be grateful that we've managed to survive our adventures, whether they were real or imaginary. And Bill asks, are you sure? Alice says, only as sure as I am that reality of one night uh, or of, uh, is, uh, the, the reality of one night of a lifetime can never be the whole truth. Alice says, the important thing, we're awake now for a long time to come. Bill says, forever. Alice says, I too love you and we need to fuck as soon as possible. Okay, here's the inversion. Outside of Bill and Alice, everybody at the Christmas party was at the mansion that night. This is all pretty much in over. So the Christmas party and the man and the mansion party same night. That's it's one gen, it's one inverted. It's yeah. So like I said, uh, Bill and Alice were not supposed. To, well, Bill wasn't supposed to be there, but everybody at the party was at the the, the, the mansion. Okay, a couple other things. Victor is the red cloak. Now I don't I haven't seen anywhere confirm it. That's just my suspicion that Victor was the red cloak. Now, Victor's last name is Ziegler. Interesting name. Ziegler is German for brick layer. Well, we all know what a brick layer is. There's a Jewish university in LA that ordains rabbis under the name Ziegler when they graduate. Now, how does it how does, does this mean anything to you? It sure should. Uh, the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. What is one of the RZA's alter egos? 
I'm gonna see if anyone in the chat can 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 name his alter ego. Let me show you how deep this shit goes. I'll, I'll just wait. What is the Riz's alter ego? Well, one of his alter egos. So no, no one, no one can guess it. Okay. The Riz, one of the Riz's alter ego. His name is Zigzag Ziggalar. Dartma, thank you. Yes, sir. Zigzag Ziggalar. Not a game, folks. It's not a fucking game. That's right, Bobby Digital. Y'all know that album, Bobby Digital. Yes, Zigzag Ziggalar. Everybody's in this shit. Everybody's in it. Everybody's in it. That is the breakdown. That is the breakdown of motherfucking um. Eyes <laughs> wide shut. Also, uh, the checkerboard on the floor of the party of the mansion. Checker, checker, checkerboard, you know, the black and white shit, that, that, that old shit. Um, also, there's two shots in the very beginning of the movie when Bill and Alice are getting dressed. Uh, Alice is naked in front of the two pillars. That's 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 Boaz and Joshim, right? And then there's a shot of Bill in between the two pillars in their home. Okay? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, this is the movie that they they said told too much. I mean, I'm looking at the movie and I'm like, eh, eh. I don't think it, it told that much. To be honest with you, but I mean, you know, it's t- twenty years ago, it might have been a big deal. Which is, I mean, it was a big deal when this movie came out. So, um, uh, hey, hold on for a sec, Takashi, <laughs> Takashi, yeah. come here. Where's Uncle, is Uncle Puka in there? No. Uncle D in there? No. Well, yeah. Yes. Do me a favor. Go check the door and see if it's a package. You sick. You, 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 you feel like going to school tomorrow? Yeah. You sure? Yes. Hey, you look terrible. Hey, get it. Don't make me. All right. Go check the door with the package, please. Gracias. My bad. Um, It wasn't that deep of a movie. I mean, 20 years ago, this shit was pretty profound. I get it. But, you know, this is the, you know, when you get older and years go by, yeah, you look back at this shit like, oh, it wouldn't. It was deep. It was deep back then. Back then it was deep. Because now you're looking at it from today's uh, vantage point, which is an unfair, it's an unfair vantage point. Because 20 years ago, what did you know? What did you know 20 years ago? Okay. Um, so, yeah, hey, faces by pureness, hey. I'm going to get it confirmed real quick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and knock this out, wrap this up real quick. Thank you for everybody for joining for joining, joining in tonight. I do apologize if you're trying to listen and, and, and on the wake up. Um, do subscribe to the, to the uh, YouTube channel on the wake up show for all the replays. And, and this content here, too, will be there as well. Um, yeah, that was pretty yeah, they, they had They had to give up the kid. That's how they're able to walk away from all this shit. So, um, of course, it's implied. But, yeah, the, the, they, they cut out a lot of this footage. They said it was sex scenes. It had nothing to do with sex scenes. 
There's a lot of footage to cut out. There's no footage. Are you sure? Yes. Do you just check? Oh, shit. What happened? Why Hold you? on, y'all. Watch out. Yo, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yo, people out here play games and try and get fucking shot. And shit. Yo, I'm so sorry. Um, so sorry. Uh, I'm gonna get. To, I'm gonna get out of here. Y'all have a good night. Thank you for everything. Thank you for hanging out. <coughs> Next week, <laughs> uh, breakdowns. I got a. Uh, got my list. I don't. I don't know. So next week we'll do this again. Next week, Saturday. Hopefully, I get my, my Inquisitor brothers on here. And we uh we get a handle. With that being said, I wish y'all a good night. Y'all have a good one. Peace.